want you to turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter. We're going to start a new sermon series entitled Making Sense of Suffering. And we're going to walk through the book of 1 Peter. We're not going to cover every verse, but we're going to cover every chapter. And we're going to align this with our life group studies. I hope you got a copy of that uh, new life group study, Making Sense of Suffering. I think it's a, a pretty um, important study for us as a, a world and a community as we think about how we can help people who are dealing with uh, suffering in all sorts of ways. I want to remind you, this is the first Sunday of uh, May, and so we want to make sure we're continuing to pray for our Oikos folks. And so let's just pause just a moment at the beginning of our, our broadcast, our recording, just to, to, uh, to pray over our pre-Christians. Would you do that with me for just a moment? Just think about those folks on your Oikos list who don't have the hope we have, don't have the peace that we have through these uneasy times, would you pray right now that God would use this pandemic to bring them to a, a realization that they need Jesus, that they can't make it in this crazy world without Him? Would you pray that God would tear down the barriers to their faith, whatever they might be? Would you pray that the Spirit of God would work in their hearts and their lives so that when you and I have opportunity to share our faith with them, God's already been working ahead of us, preparing them. Lift those names, would you? Keep praying. Father, we, we come to you asking that you would uh, use us to change the world. We know it's not the 7.8 billion people that you want changed. It's the 8 to, to 15 people that you've given us supernaturally and strategically to share, to care, to be a good example of faith in you through these difficult days, to, to be ready and effective and a, a witness to them. Father, help us. Prepare us even now through this study of 1 Peter to uh, answer eternal questions, to give a reason for the hope that we have and help us, Lord, as Peter reminds us, to do it with gentleness and respect. Now, Lord, I pray that you would uh, use these words and use this time in your word for your glory that you'd speak in these moments. Father, unless you speak, I have nothing to say. In the power of your holy name we pray. Amen. We avoid things that uh, we don't like, don't we? We do it from a very early age, like vegetables or exercise or people who get on our nerves. Don't look around right now. Please don't look around. 
as we think about that, I want, to, want you to know that sometimes the things that we don't like that we avoid won't hurt us. Uh, for instance, Jennifer and I really don't like scary movies. We don't go to scary movies. But the very first time we ever went to a movie together, we went just as friends. We were both students at Wayland. And we went to Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And I, I don't like scary movies, but I like that scary movie. Because that, in the scary part, she would cuddle up close to me. Even though we just went as friends, you know, the rest is history from there. And so they did have a purpose. But we don't go to scary movies. That's not going to hurt us to avoid things like that that we don't like. But there are things that we avoid sometimes or we want to avoid uh, that avoiding talking about them or avoiding them altogether will hurt us. And they're not things sometimes that I want to preach about. But they're things that we need to look at. And one of those things is suffering. And how, how in the world can we have joy in the midst of suffering? Now, these are not my thoughts or not my ideas. The Apostle Paul says in Romans 5 to rejoice in suffering. Because suffering produces perseverance, and perseverance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not disappoint. So the great Apostle Paul, the great missionary who dealt with all sorts of difficulty and trials and tribulations and suffering in his own life, knew a little bit about what he was talking about and was inspired by God to say, rejoice in suffering. James, the half-brother of Jesus, who he called Jesus his Lord. Now, what would it take for your brother to call you Lord? James walked with his half-brother, saw it, and saw him crucified, and then saw him alive again, and realized that there was something different than just Jesus being his half-brother. And James writes, who was also dealing with a, a crisis community, or a community in crisis, he writes in the first chapter of his book, his letter, he writes, Consider it pure joy. Same thing that Paul had said, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that trials develop endurance, perseverance. Now Peter, he too knows a little bit about suffering. And when we see Peter in writing the book of 1 Peter, we see a different Peter than we saw in uh, the Gospels. He's got the same kind of personality and the same kind of, of passion, but in the Gospels, Peter wants the kingdom of God to come, and he wants it to come now, and he wants it to come um, through Jesus overthrowing the Roman government and setting up his own kingdom. And he wants it to happen without human suffering. You recall the conversation they had in Matthew 16 when Peter says that great declaration, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And uh, Jesus says, Blessed are you, Peter. Blessed are you, Simon, a son of Jonah, because flesh and blood has not revealed that to you, but my Father who is in heaven... Uh, you are Peter, and upon this rock I'll build my church. Upon that great 
confession of faith that, that Jesus was the one, Jesus was the Messiah. In the next section of Matthew 16, Jesus begins to talk about His suffering. How He's going to suffer at the hands of the religious leaders and how He's going to be killed and then on the third day He's going to rise again. You know what Peter does? Peter rebukes Jesus. Peter reprimands the Lord. Think about it this way. Peter took Jesus aside and had a little come to Peter meeting with Jesus. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Because you don't have the things of God in mind, but the things of man. Just my translation of that. You're not worried, Peter, about God's kingdom and God's agenda. You're worried about your own agenda and what you want. And what you want is a a rule and reign and a kingdom without suffering. You know, you and I know it didn't happen, but by the time Peter writes 1 Peter, he recognizes that suffering is inevitable for those who are part of the kingdom and that suffering is not the exception for a true believer, but the rule for a true believer. And by the time he writes 1 Peter, the early church is under great persecution from the emperor Nero, who Peter would eventually die under, be crucified, and asked to be crucified upside down under his reign. And so all the early Christians, early believers, needed Peter's words of, of comfort here, but also need preparation for more suffering. Suffering, we think, is something to be avoided. And it is. Nobody likes that. But there are certain lessons, certain growth opportunities, and certain expansion of our hearts that cannot happen apart from suffering. So we want to look how to deal with it, how to overcome it. We want to look at the antidote to helping us uh, be able to endure suffering uh, with not just a sense of clenched teeth and, and determination, but rather with a sense of peace and even joy. And we want to do that by just taking inventory. As Peter writes here in verses 3 through 9 of chapter 1, we're going to look at together and just look at the things that he says we have, these incomparable possessions that we have because of our relationship with the Father through Jesus. Look at them with me, if you would. All praise to God, the, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's by His great mercy that we've been born again because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Now we live with great expectation. We are born again to a living hope and we have a priceless inheritance. An inheritance that's kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay through your faith. God is protecting you by His power until you receive this salvation which is ready to be revealed on the last day for all to see. So 
Be truly glad. Rejoice. There is a wonderful joy ahead. Even though you must endure many trials for a little while. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. It's being tested as fire tests and purifies gold. Through your, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. You love Him, even though you have never seen Him. Though you do not see Him now, you trust Him. And you rejoice with the glorious, inexpressible joy the reward for trusting Him will be the salvation of your souls. So let's just look at how we don't just cope with suffering, but how we rejoice in suffering. Let's look at, at six reasons from, these pa- from this passage. We'll look at them quickly together. First of all, we see in verse 3, we have a living hope. We live with this great expectation, or we were born again to a living Hope, and we've been talking about hope uh, quite a while now as we talked about the resurrection and uh, the resurrection appearances. So I won't go over that again, but I do want to remind you that biblical hope is not just wishful thinking in our world. When we think we're hoping, we would say things like, well, I hope I win the lottery, or uh, I hope my kids turn out right, or or I hope uh, that my paycheck will last to the end of the month, or I hope this job or this new job will work out. We know there's a lot of things that we're just hoping about right now because there's a lot of folks facing a lot of different trials. No school, that's a trial. Who's it a trial for? Maybe for teachers a little bit through Zoom, but a whole lot for parents as they begin to homeschool those kids. They have a new appreciation for our educators. Uh, lots of folks in our community have, have lost their jobs. And so we think about that and the trials that that brings. Or lots of folks, even folks in this place, have had their pay cut. And so we know that there are going to be people in the, the weeks and, and months to come that this is not going to be an easy turnaround as the, the price of oil is not where we want it to be. And all of this is not helping the matter, we know there are going to be people who are actually hungry and need some clothes and need some shelter, just the basic necessities of life, and they'll go through that. And we know there's stress on, on families and, and marriages and through all of this. And, and as we, we think about all of those things, we are reminded that hope is not just a wishful thinking that things are going to get better, but it, it's a confident assurance that God can and will keep His Word, keep His promises. So when we think about the living hope we have, we think that our, about our, how our hope is, is built in, in Christ and the resurrection. Would you... Remember with me that if he can whip death, he can handle whatever else 
concerns us. And so we trust in our living hope that He'll keep His promises. And the greatest promise is His presence through all of this. He'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. We can look forward to that eternal place, that heaven, that this is not all there is, but the greatest promise here and now is abundant life with Jesus Christ in this world. You see, Peter was transformed in his thinking about suffering because he had had a personal encounter with Christ in His forgiveness. And, and we know that Christ restored him to His ministry. And, and we think about that, that Peter not only walked with Jesus, but now, as he writes this letter, Peter has Jesus living in him and through him in the form of the Holy Spirit as the Holy Spirit was poured down upon him at the, at the end there in John, at the end of John, as Jesus breathed out the Holy Spirit upon him and then came to stay at Pentecost. And that same Spirit that was within, Peter is in us. So he's with us. He's our living hope. The second thing we see in verse 4 is a permanent inheritance. Now lots of folks have had their 401ks and the retirement uh, accounts just crushed in, in a downturn in our economy. Think about this. Our inheritance, not based on the volatility of the stock market, but listen to the words in verse 4. We have this priceless inheritance. An inheritance that's kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled beyond the reach of change and decay. It's never going to go down. As we think about that, it's not based on that volatility, but rather the vitality of the precious blood of Jesus. Our sin debt wiped out. And our account has been credited with Jesus' righteousness which is better by far than even a stimulus check. We think about what we have. We have this permanent inheritance. The third thing we can rejoice in is that we have divine protection. Verse 5, through your faith, God is protecting you by His power until you receive this salvation. The the message says it this way, God is keeping careful watch over us and the future. The day is coming when you'll have, have it all. Life healed and whole. And we know in, in our day, the Secret Service protects the president because of his prominence or, or his importance or his supremacy as the leader of our nation. But can you imagine for just a moment that God the supreme being in the universe cares enough about us that it, He's protecting us. We have this divine protection and we can trust Him no matter what. He's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. And He's all-good. All the time. 
So we have a divine protection. Number four, we have a developing faith. And I think this is what trials really do for us. They test the genuineness of our faith. That's what they reveal, it, do they not? Whether our faith is real or whether it's just pretend or whether it's just the, the faith we taught when we were, uh, were, were young, growing up, somebody gave that to us, or, or whether it's authentic. And so when we think about this, we look at what verse 6 and 7 say. So be truly glad there's a wonderful joy ahead, even though you must. James says, whenever you face trials, it's not like we're going to somehow avoid them. The great equalizer in the human race is that we all suffer at some point. We all have loss. At some point, we all have troubles or trials. We're either coming out of it, we're either in the midst of it, or we're either going into a, a new one. That's how life is. That's the brokenness of our world. And so when we think about uh, our faith in the midst of that, we've got to ask ourselves, is our, can our faith stand the heat? Because that's what Peter says, it's being tested as fire tests and purifies gold. And it's tested to see if it's real, if it's authentic. And our faith is far more precious than gold. And so your faith remains strong through many trials. Faith is like a, a muscle. It only grows as it gets exercised. And we know, don't we? that our faith gets exercised a lot more in trials than it does when everything's going well. A lot more in pain than it does in, in pleasure. And so we look at how our faith develops. A British journalist named Malcolm Muggeridge came to faith a little later in life, and, and late, late in life, he wrote these words, Contrary to what might be expected, I look back on experiences that at the time seemed especially painful, Indeed, everything I've learned that has truly enhanced and enlightened my existence has been through affliction and not through happiness. That's what grows our faith. That's what grows us. Is the difficulties that we go through. And the more we go through them, the stronger we become. The more our faith goes through them, the stronger it becomes. Because we've seen how have we gotten through the things we've gotten through to this point. How have we gotten through the, the brokenness and the loss that we've gotten through to this point. It's been the Lord. And we can look back at those accounts and, and say, Lord, you brought me through that. Will you bring me through this? I know you will. I trust you will. Now, you might not be going through anything worse than just bushy hair or, or not being able to go to the, the barbershop or the hairdresser, but there may be somebody in your oikos who, who's really struggling, who's really afraid, who really needs assurance that God's there. And so when we think about our faith, faith is, is a confidence that God is going to come through. 
And God can be counted on. And so that's what develops through trials. And that's why we, re- we can rejoice through all this. And we also rejoice that we have this unseen Savior working on our behalf even when we can't see Him. That's why we, when we sing that miracle worker, I love that even when I don't see Him, He's working. Even when I don't feel Him, He's working. Peter writes about this. Verse 8, he says, You love Him even though you've, you've never seen Him. And though you do not see Him now, you trust Him. And you rejoice with a glorious and inexpressible joy. Even when you don't see Him. I wonder if he's thinking back to the occurrence when doubting Thomas wasn't there and said, you know, I, I'm not going to believe unless I see Him, unless I can put my hand, my finger in His side, my finger in His hands. And when He shows up, He... He doesn't need to do all that. Thomas sees him and declares, My Lord and my God. In chapter 20, verse 28 of John's Gospel, and then verse 29, Jesus says, Because you've seen me, have you believed? Blessed are they who do not see and yet believe. That's us. We are blessed when we recognize that there is an unseen Savior who's working all around us. And we we see Him best in the midst of difficulty, don't we? When our attention is not drawn to ourselves, but drawn to Him. And our dependence is upon Him. So we rejoice because we have this unseen Savior and we rejoice finally because we have a guaranteed delivery. Verse 9. The reward for trusting Him will be the salvation of your souls. The goal of your faith, the NIV says, will be the salvation of your souls. You keep hanging in there. You keep believing and you'll have this guaranteed delivery. I, I don't know if you've ever... A paid for overnight guaranteed delivery or not. I've done that a time or two and it hadn't come. I've, I've waited on a birthday gift for Jennifer, a Christmas gift for Jennifer, and I thought, I, I better do that overnight so it makes sure and get here. And then the birthday comes and there's no gift. And I, I'm a little upset with the delivery folks, but that, there's an assurance that Jesus keeps His Word. And when He says He's going to be with us, He's going to be with us. And when He promises that even though we die, we'll live, we can trust that because He's the resurrection and the life. And we can put our faith in what He, he says, what He claims. I want to close our time together with this uh, reading from a, a book called A Grace Disguised. What a great word for a guy who's gone through some trials. He addresses his reality of suffering and and loss. His name is Gerald Sitzer. His loss came in 1991, the fall of 1991, when a drunk driver crossed into oncoming traffic and struck the van he was driving. In a fraction of a second, his world changed forever. He watched his wife, his mother, 
and his daughter all died before his eyes. And he writes, As I reflect on the story of my loss, I've learned that though entirely unique, as all losses are, it is a manifestation of a universal experience. Sooner or later, all people suffer loss. In little doses or big doses. Suddenly or over time. Privately or in public settings. Loss is as much a part of normal life as birth. For as surely as we are born into the world, we suffer loss before we leave it. It's not therefore the experience of loss that becomes a defining moment in our lives. It is how we respond to that loss that matters. The response will largely determine the quality, the direction, and the impact of our lives. So here's a question. We think about the suffering in our world. How we deal with everyday life. How we deal with other folks who are Dealing with life. Will we deal with our loss, with our suffering? With worry? Fear? Panic? Or with hope? Peace? And even joy? Because of what Jesus has done. and What He's promised. And how He's with us. Let's always remember. That we can rejoice because of the joy that's within us, even though the happenings around us may be going crazy. Let's pray together. Father, we ask those folks who are hurting in the midst of pain right now, that you be with them in a very real and present and in a very comforting sort of way. And Lord, we ask that You use us where we can, where we know that folks are dealing with loneliness or dealing with job loss, dealing with sickness, dealing with whatever it is that concerns them. Use us to bring hope, to bring Your Word, to bring Your peace and Your presence as much as we can. But Father, above all of that, by Your Holy Spirit, work. Work through the difficulties. Draw people who don't know You to You. Draw people who know You to share You. In the power of Your holy name we pray. Amen. Not quite 18 minutes, sorry.